0: Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. So, I want to go through a story this morning about a young boy and a giant. I won't give you a prize for guessing who this might be. You don't even have to have gone to Sunday school or to um, have been in a scripture class or anything like that to know about David and Goliath. Everybody knows about David and Goliath. Everybody's sort of got this concept. And there is a picture and the pictures, the Sunday school pictures always give us the idea of this incredible mismatch. You know, that's what we know about it. David was a young, innocent boy. Goliath was this great, uh, powerful-looking giant. And when you look at the story and look at the picture, all you can see is that sure doesn't add up. And uh, David is, what we know about David is that he's a young man with a heart after God. And his job at the time was just being out in the fields with his father's sheep. So it's kind of a, not a very impressive job and not a very impressive role, but we know that through his life, he actually writes 73 of the Psalms. There would be 78 of the Psalms uh, if we included all the numbers of of references in the New Testament back to the Psalms that are attributed to David that aren't actually called Psalms of David, but 73 have got his name on them. And the Psalms are, are just songs and poems that he's written through his life. And uh, when we look at what his worship looks like, because he's out in the fields as a young man, he's learning to worship, learning to know the God of his fathers. And uh, when we look at what his worship looks like, for me, there's a bit of a a two-way balance. On the one hand, he's always lifting up the name of God. He's talking about the greatness of God. He's talking about the worth of God. He's exalting God, that's part of it. But at the same time, He brings along to God exactly how he feels about pretty much everything. He brings along to God the things that don't make sense to him. He brings along to God the things he doesn't like, the things that seem unjust. He brings it all along to God. And so I I like that because he's giving thanks and he's complaining. He's grieving and mourning and at the same time, he's rejoicing and celebrating he yeah, has times where he, he's just still in awe of God, times when he just stops and he listens to be able to hear what it is that God is saying. And so his worship has got this incredible balance, the greatness of God and the raw reality of what life is like for me right in this moment. And he's learning to worship and it's happening in his everyday workplace, his everyday job. He's learning to worship. And I wanna say this morning, and you hear me say it a lot, worship keeps God in focus. That's what worship does. He learns to trust God and he's learning it in his everyday life. Listen to how he expresses his understanding. And I'm reading this this morning just because it's my privilege and choice that I get to. Listen to these words, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters, He refreshes my soul, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. It's like God is using this time to engrave into David's heart, etch. Into his heart, some of the things that he needs to know as he's going to go on in life, and I, I love that because, you know, in retiring, a lot of people are saying, "So, are you are you getting reflective yet? Are you looking back?" And I love looking back because I look back to things that God has etched, engraved in my heart as a young, uh, learning to worship God myself, and so a couple of stories. I can remember as a young believer, the day when uh, I, had, I was invited out to dinner with uh, a leader in the church and, and they prayed for me as I left their place. They prayed that God would show me what He had for me in the future. And I, can, I thought, that's great, I love that prayer. Who doesn't wanna know what it is that God has for you in the future? And uh, as I went home that day, I walked through the doorway into my house. And a memory from my childhood came back into my mind. I have not given this experience a thought up until that moment and it drops back into my mind. And the memory was uh, one of my brothers and myself and my parents had been away together and we were on our way home, uh, back home, and we stayed overnight in Bathurst. So Bathurst was a strange city for us. We'd been, we only ever travelled through Um, But as we were driving into the city, there was a fire engine, several fire engines went past and so there were lights and uh, noise, sirens and so when we settled at the caravan park on the outskirts of town, my brother and my father decided they would go off to see where the fire was. Apparently it's a boy thing. However, as a young girl, I decided I would go too. However, they'd already gone so I trotted off after them and as I arrived uh, at a crossroad and went across this road and up there, it was dark and I'm standing on this footpath looking for where my dad is or my brother and I can't find them. And so then I thought, well, maybe I should go home and I I turned the other way and I thought, where did I come from? I couldn't quite remember where it was that we'd stopped. And so I can remember feeling very lost and being a young girl, the most logical thing to do at the time was to cry. So I stood on the footpath and cried, not knowing what to do, completely lost. So while I'm standing there, my dad comes back. They got the biggest shock to see me in the middle of the road unexpectedly. So, but my dad comes back and he grabs me and he comforts me. And as I walk back into my house as an adult, and this memory comes into my mind, God writes two things in my heart, really etches it into my heart. First, you have a father. Now, by that stage, my father had already passed away. So, this was God telling me I wasn't alone. You have a father, and he knows the way. Those two things. You have a father and he knows the way. It was like God saying, you don't need to know everything that's out there. What you need to know is you've got a heavenly father and he always knows the way. So you don't have to worry about those things. Which way? Which way is the right way? Your heavenly father knows. And so that was built into me in the very early days. Another story from uh, early in serving Jesus was just the reality of uh, I'd been overseas in mission for several years and I came back to Australia and I was with my mother and I wanted to try and explain to her what this had been like, what this experience had been like. And I was showing her all these photos. You know, there was this person and this person came from that country and we had this. It was just lots and lots of people and I'm pouring out this passion, with passion, the, uh, some of the experiences that I'd been able to have. And my mother said, that's nice, dear. And I can remember walking out, going into the bedroom and g- coming to God, God, she doesn't understand. And again, I just heard God speak into my heart, write it, etch it into my spirit, Helen. If you don't open your hands and let go, you won't be ready to receive what I want to put into them now. See, you never forget those things. And they're never old from the past, they're always current. The things that God builds into you. And that's what God was doing with David as he's out there with this unimportant job of just looking after his father's sheep, learning to worship because worship keeps God in focus. In fact, worship keeps God in focus so much so that when this same young man faces that grizzly looking giant, he's not afraid. What is that? Let's read the story, 1 Samuel and chapter 17. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. So we got this picture, the Philistines are over here, the army of Israel over here on hills, valley in between, facing each other, facing off against each other. Verse four, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In other words, I read all of that just so you know, he's big and he's scary. That's the picture that we get. Verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. And if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So one of the ways that the issues of war were determined, it was like an economy of warriors to choose a champion from each side and let them go head to head. And each of them represented the God of that army, the God of that people group. And so whoever won, it was a judgment against the God of the other people. So this is the challenge. Verse 10. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40 days, morning, evening, same challenge, same reaction, 40 days. Now, David's brothers are there. They're in Saul's army. And so David's father sends sends him to take them some provisions and just to bring back some word on what's happening for them. So that's how David comes into this particular story. Verse 21. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So everything is the same day after day until David comes. And David sees the same as everyone else. He hears the same challenge as everyone else, but he's different. His reaction is different. The way he behaves is different. And the words that he speaks, the words that he uses are also different. First of all, he's got a different reaction Saul's strong, trained fighting men are terrified. But David's got the giant right in front of him and he's not. He's not frightened. He's not even afraid. You know, we could be tempted to think that he's got a different set of lens that he's looking at. But in actual fact, that's not true. David was looking through exactly the same set of lens that all everyone else was using. It's just that he had a different focus. Remember, he's been out in the fields. He's a worshiper. Worship keeps God in focus. You know, when you think about focus, I think we can focus on so many different things and all look at the same picture and see something different. Worship helps us keep God in focus. I think David seems to have a really simple sequence of thoughts in his mind that goes something like this. This enemy is defying God. The God I know is much bigger than him. The God I know is with me. He doesn't stand a chance. I'll take him on. Now you and I might be a bit more familiar with the sequence of thoughts that seem to go through the army. And theirs would be something like that. This guy is big. You know, whether it's we're talking about a guy or just a problem, this is big. Next, I'm so small in comparison. I don't stand a chance. So you come to the conclusion, we better get out of here fast. Let's run. That, and that's exactly what they were doing each time. But David's taken up with the greatness of God. His focus is on how amazing God is, how big God is. He's not put off by what's in front of him here. So he would seen God's power at work before. Out there on the fields, when an enemy had come along to try and steal one of the flock and try and kill David, uh, David himself, he'd seen God, overcome that enemy. One time it was a lion, one time it was a bear, but God had always been bigger than any enemy that had come along. And David had developed this belief that it didn't matter how big the enemy was. If the enemy came along that was defying God, God was always bigger. And he had that belief etched into his spirit as well. You know, I, I ask the question: How did God? How did uh, How did David do that? How did he manage to keep that focus like that, so he could look at someone like Goliath and have that strength in his spirit? How did he do that? But I think the question, really, more important question, is: How do we do it? How do we keep God in focus when in our workplace, in our life circumstances, in the challenges that we face? The home, the the home situation we live in, the neighbourhood we live in, how do we, in our circumstances, with our issues and our challenges, how do we keep God in focus? And you know, I'm not pretending to answer all these things, but I would say to you, as far as I'm concerned, I come back to one answer. Worship keeps God in focus, and worship brings us back to having God in focus. Verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David's not afraid because he really believes that his God is bigger than this big giant who's defying his God. Enemies come to us in all kinds of different disguises. You know, they come in different issues, they come in different challenges, they defy God in our lives in all kinds of, uh, of different ways. And let me say it again, worship keeps God in focus in the midst of those situations. And remembering what worship looked like for David. His worship was all about lifting up the name of God, lifting him high but his worship also was the bringing of everything, all of his stuff before God and uh, offering it to him, bringing it to him as the one who had answers. You know, um, it wasn't just his reaction that was different to everybody else. His behavior was different as well. So he doesn't, uh, everybody else ran away, but, but David, instead of running away, he puts his hand up and says, I'll go. I'll do it, I'll fight, I'll be the one. Everybody else is running. He's like, pick me. Isn't that amazing? Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul says, you can't do that, you're just a kid. He says, yes, I can. He's defying God and God's with me. I can do this. This is, yeah, let's go. He's got his hand up and, uh, and he's all ready to go. But at this point, there's a couple of things that could have gone differently in such a way as to completely derail this mission. And I think we learn a lot from David in this because there's a couple of distractions that could have come along. First of all, He could have been distracted by what we would call friendly fire. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down just to see the battle. You know, there's something devastating about friendly fire when the attack that comes against you is not from an enemy, but someone, but your brother, someone who actually knows you, says things about your motive, says, implies things about your agenda that, that you know are not true, but it gets said anyway. As, um, it's like one of those, ouch, that hurts. Proverbs 12, 18 says the words of the reckless pierce like a sword, like they cut in from left field. You don't anticipate them. You're not expecting them. They just come and they leave you winded, gasping for breath. So David could have uh, been totally shaken by this. He could have turned around and said, how could you say that? How dare you say that? He could have packed up his supplies and gone home. He could have uh, just settled it with anger, resentment. He could have hit back with his own harsh words. Well, let me say this about you. He could have concentrated on proving that those accusations were not true. Or he could have just taken some time out to, you know, to nurse his wounds that had been left there by the words that were spoken. But he didn't do any of that because worship keeps God in focus. So David knew that even though his brother's words were unkind, even though his brother was being a bit of a jerk, his brother was still a brother. He wasn't the enemy. It was that giant out there who was the one defying God that needed to be brought down. And so David didn't allow himself to get sidetracked having his own little battle with a brother, when there was a giant set against God who needed to be brought down, he was the enemy, not his brother. No matter how mean his brother was, no matter how unnecessary all that was, what his brother did, what his brother said, he was still a brother. That giant there, he was the one defying God. He was the enemy that needed to be brought down. The second thing that could have really shaken him off his mission and and derailed him at this point, even though he's ready to go and fight, is that he could have been distracted when he's offered the privilege of wearing Saul's armour. Well, Saul was just trying to help. And for Saul to go out to war meant you put on all this armour, you picked up the heavy shield, you picked held the heavy sword, and off you went with all this man-made protection. And so he's just trying to help. So David dresses up in it all. Uh, Verse 46. No, sorry, verse 38. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Saul's armour was never going to fit David. It wasn't made for David. David had a trusty slingshot. He knew that one stone would be able to do the trick and bring the victory. He knew that if he was going to go out and into this battle, he had to be himself. He couldn't stand in someone else's shoes. He couldn't try and wear Saul's shoes. He had to be himself. And so you've got to respect David in the midst of this situation where he's putting his hand up saying, yep, I'll go and take on this giant. He's pushing away the distractions. No, I won't get sidetracked having a personal battle with a brother. I will keep my eyes on who the enemy is that needs to be brought down. And no, I won't step into somebody else's shoes. I will be myself. So David hung on to those and he pushed away everything else that would come to try and sidetrack him, derail him from the mission that he'd been given. And thirdly, finally, David's words were different. He listened to all the ramblings of Goliath and this is what he says. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses to the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So this young boy, he faces this huge, impressive looking, giant enemy and he says, you are defeated. Looks at him. You are defeated are the words that he speaks. They're different words to everybody else's words. David rises up. He's been worshipping. Worship keeps God in focus. He looks at this enemy and he says, you are defeated. I wonder this morning, if you need to say those words over something in your life. As I said, you know, the enemy comes to us all kinds of different disguises. He comes in wrapped up in issues and situations and circumstances. He comes intimidating, he comes to frighten, he comes in all kinds of different ways. Enemies cross our paths in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, we don't cut off heads. Please, no, you don't have permission to go and cut off somebody's head. However, when it's an issue or a challenge or a lie, we do have some responsibility to cut off the power of that lie where the enemy is pretending that he has power over us where the enemy is intimidating you, pretending he has power over you, then it does come back to us. We are the ones who cut that off. We are the ones who say no to that. We are the ones who need to stand up and say. And I love the fact that as a church here, we have a counselling centre. We have prayer opportunities. I love that because... Very often when we make the decision that I need to speak differently or I need to do something differently, the journey of taking the first step is much, much easier when someone is helping you, when someone is guiding you, when someone is supporting you in taking that first step. So let me just ask again, is there something in your world right at this moment that you actually need to speak and say, you are defeated. That, you, that intimidation, that fear, all of that, that, you don't have that control over me. You're just pretending that you control me. When in reality, you don't. I know what Jesus has done on the cross. I know that all the power of sin and death has been defeated. And it needs to come out of our mouths. Let me read to you Some assurances that come from David. See, worship keeps God in focus. Let me read. First of all, reading from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Question whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse five and six. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 27. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 32 and verse seven. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 34 and verse 19. The righteous may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. That is so beautiful. David had learned in the uh, beginning in the fields, etched into his spirit, is learning to worship, learning to lift up God no matter what, at the same time, bringing all the no matter what to him. And the combining of those two things, he was learning to worship and worship keeps God in focus. So when the enemy comes, when the giant comes, doesn't matter how big, the God that we worship is bigger than that. And worship is definitely a response to Him. So I wanna invite you right now to stand on your feet and we are going to lift a song of worship to Him. Let's just stand on your feet and let's pray. Father, would you stir our hearts to, to, to worship? And as we do worship you, Lord, would you uh, realign whatever you need to do so that our focus has you in focus? You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of our worship. Hallelujah. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.